0: Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Why not me can be asked in two different fashions. One being, um, why not me? Why don't I have that nice house? Why don't I have the perfect job, the amazing marriage, the great kids? Why not me? Um, Or you could look at it through the other lens, the one that is, More about, well, why can't I? What what actually disqualifies me? Why couldn't I achieve that? Why can't I go and become more than a conqueror? And we talked about different definitions in which, you know, going back to basics as believers, that we need to do sometimes just to remind ourselves that if we are to have a positive, why not me approach to life, we need to remember that we are a new creation in Christ, that we're more than conquerors in Christ. And then finally, I spoke on the topic of being a Christ's ambassador. Um, And I mentioned last week that we would actually take this uh, part of the the sermon series to actually discover what it means in more in-depth terminology and what the scripture says and why Paul used that that term, an ambassador, for Christ. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, And so to give you a clear indication or a clear definition, when I say ambassador, what I mean, a Christ ambassador, we're using an Old Testament Uh, terminology here. It's not the ambassador uh, or the ambassadorships that we see taking place right now around the world, though they do find their their origins from this concept. But originally an ambassador was a messenger or an envoy or a negotiator sent on a special temporary mission as an official representative of the king, government, or the authority who had sent them. Um, So the examples that we have in Scripture of ambassadors. Uh, the one is in Isaiah 30 where we see the ambassador of Pharaoh, um, the princes of Babylon in Second Chronicles, and, and Necho, the king of Egypt, the Second Chronicles as well. Um, and so these are, these are the concepts. It's, it's got to understand that the big thing that I want to pull out here is that ambassadorships in the Old Testament lens is temporary. Anyone here seen the movie 300? All right, there's that real famous scene, right? What does he say? This is Sparta, and he kicks the, the, <laughs> he kicks the, the ambassador into the well, right? Uh, that's a problem. Um, one, you shouldn't kick people in the wells. But two, uh, you know, when we would read about uh, an Old Testament ambassador, uh, that ambassador encompassed the very authority with whom was being, they're being sent by. So if you were to kick him into the well, you're kicking the king into the well. So when we talk about ambassadorships in the Old Testament... We're talking about somebody who walks, stands, speaks and and travels with the authority of whoever is sending them. So there was this concept and there was this law uh, that was usually abided by and it was the, the whole idea of law with regard to ambassadors. Uh, and this is a simply it. For the envoy represented the messenger and acted on his behalf and in his place, thus embodying his authority. To disregard or insult the envoy was to disregard or insult the sender. So... So when Paul writes that he is an ambassador for Christ, we need to understand first and foremost in the Old Testament lens, he's talking about a temporary thing. Not temporary on this side of earth, just temporary in the fact that we all at some point in our life will no longer have life and we pass away. So he's saying, hey, I am an ambassador for Christ. I'm temporarily on this earth. But while I am here, my job is to bring the message of Jesus Christ. Um, and and I, I often think about it in regards to, you know, in my own life, I'm on 17% battery here. We might finish early. <laughs> Some people are like, amen. <laughs> we need to understand that, that when Paul goes, I'm an ambassador for Christ, he uses like, it's, it's really interesting. There's a few things we've got to say. So you're being commissioned for a special assignment. You're representing the sender and you're exercising the authority of the sender uh, and there's this expectation as ambassadors that, that we're carrying a message that's unadulterated. It's not our message. It's his message. If you're an ambassador uh, for a country, you are not, you're not relaying your own message here. Your job is to relay in perfect fashion the message that's being sent to you by the authority that sends you. There is a story here I thought it would be great to tell because it is Remembrance Day and it takes place in Vietnam the last two days of the Vietnam War uh, and the US has decided that it is now, along with its coalition partners, um, you know, some would say abandoning the South, uh, but they are now leaving the, the theatre of war in Vietnam and they, they have to evacuate as many of their own civilians and own personnel out as possible. Um, and I don't know if any one of you here have been to Ho Chi Minh City, formerly known as Saigon, if you're still there depends where you are it still says Saigon. Um, but it's a massive city. Uh, you know when I was there back in 2015, um, one of the residents there said that they think the population of that city is 18 million people. Um, but I was on the tarmac and it was really a weird experience because usually when you fly into an airport you don't get off your massive jet and just walk straight onto the, the run like the tarmac right We have our own special like air-conditioned gate lock things that is, it didn't exist there. Um, not the plane I was on anyway. Um, But when I was getting off and I was standing there and and taking photos, which you were allowed to do as well, um, the person I was with who was a Vietnamese national said, hey, you see that mountain range over there? And I was like, yeah. He said, well, during the last few days uh, of the war, you could see um, the Viet Cong and the People's Republic of Vietnam army coming down with their lanterns streaming down to the furthest point of the city. And uh, he was saying this because on the 29th of April and the 30th of April, this is what's taking place. They've bombarded most of the runways. You can't get out of the city. There was one runway that they were going to use fixed-wing aircraft to get the majority of people out. And, and it's the quickest way to get people out because you get more people on the plane. But one of the Vietnamese um, pilots, uh, he, he defected and he bombed that runway on his way out. Um, and so, the Ambassador for the United States, Graham Martin, uh, who was very invested in the whole war but more importantly invested into the Vietnamese people, uh, made the decision that they were to evacuate uh, via helicopter. Um, they had to get seven thousand people out via helicopters, and they called it the the frequent wind mission um, i'd call that a condition um, and and The only way they can really do this because what started to happen, and this is, I don't know if you know uh, much about war, but often what you think is taking place or the the thoughts behind it aren't exactly what's actually happening. And uh, The the Viet Cong had put out an order not to shoot down the helicopters um, because they wanted the US out of Vietnam and they thought, well, if we provoke them more, they might come back. Uh, But there were still certain pockets of the armies that were shooting down helicopters. And so the, the safest part... A point to fly out, and you might have seen pictures of this, was from the US embassy. and I don't know if some of us are old enough to remember documentaries or seen photos, but there's this, there's this staircase and you would have seen the helicopter would pretty much hover near that staircase and they would have to get in one by one. Um, and The order was given that the ambassador was to get all American personnel out of, out of Vietnam, out of Saigon, and leave. Um, and essentially turn their back on all the, what we would consider as sympathisers that helped the US coalition do what they needed to do. They were going to be left to the communists. Uh, and the ambassador had this, he couldn't do that. He, he loved the people too much that, he, that his word that he was going to protect and save them, um, he wanted to uphold. So what he would do is, every time they sent a helicopter for him, he would fill it with US personnel and Vietnamese refugees and send it back to the ship, knowing that they would have to send They have to send it back for the ambassador. And he did this over and over and over again. Hundreds of people he was getting out of the embassy as the armies of the Viet Cong and the PR or the PVNR start coming through. Finally, President Ford got sick of it uh, just because of the, the threat that he saw was to the mission. And he wrote personally a letter uh, to the pilot of the helicopter saying that, When you are to arrive on this trip, you are to bring the ambassador. If Ambassador Martin chooses not to come, you are to arrest him and charge him with treason on the spot. And he's been taken as a a military prisoner. Um, And so this is the weird thing, because in the United States, and I don't know if it's here in Canada, but if you're an ambassador in a theatre of war, you are actually a part of the military. Interesting, hey? Um, And so missions and all of that, Get your sign off. You you are essentially the arm's reach of the commander in chief, the president. And so he's been told, get on the helicopter. You're gonna be you're gonna be militarily charged, which if you know you don't want to go through military court. <laughs> there's no there's no like, it's all closed doors. Anyway, his action saved hundreds of people. Furthermore, it inspired a few um, naval engineers to. Disregard orders, and they recommissioned several ships that then ended up saving tens of thousands of people as they boarded these ships with like an illegal amount of people and just sent them into the, the seas of the Philippines. And my, my my reasoning of telling you this story is, I actually think this has embodied uh, one of the concepts that Paul wanted us to get as ambassadors. You know, often as an ambassador in the worldly sense, you would go to somewhere, and your job is just to give the message, tell them how it is, tell them where it's come from, and that's it. But when it comes to Jesus, our job is not just to give the message, but is to love the people. You know, you can't, you can't give the message of Christ without loving the person you're delivering the message to. And it's the same heart of the, of the, of the Ambassador Martin here, who, who loved the people that, that was his job to be the ambassador too. So there's a few things, and I said this to the 9am, I'm going to shoot through this as quick as possible because uh, you know, when we ask the question, why not me, through the lens of I could achieve this, we need to understand we're ambassadors for Christ. Um, but there's a few things that, that we just need to deal with first that, that I want to get off the bat. The first one is when Paul writes that um, he's an ambassador, he writes a second time in Ephesians 6.20 that, for which I am an ambassador in change, pray, pray, change. pray that I may declare uh, it fiercely as I should. He writes, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's in Rome at the moment. He's imprisoned when he writes this letter. Can I first tell you, we just need to deal with the concept. If you are a believer in Jesus, you're a follower, you're an ambassador of Christ, your settings don't define that you're an ambassador or not. He just says, well, I'm in chains, but I'm still an ambassador. And he just says, I pray that I'd be filled with courage to declare the message that I've still been sent to give. Number two, he says, you know, um, that you have been called out of something. As an ambassador... You're no longer of the world. In 1 Peter 4.3, it says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in a debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. He says, Peter's writing here, you're no longer in that world. You, are, as an ambassador, are coming from a world of life and life-giving and care for others. John 15.18 says this, if, you, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Uh, you know, top marks for guessing who said that. Um, Jesus himself identified that there'll be moments in our life as ambassadors for him that we will be hated. We might even be kicked into a well, uh, illustration-wise. There's a blessing understanding that we, we give up things for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus said no one who's left home, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God is going to go without. There's a a blessing in that. There's going to be times that we let go of things that we cherish in being an ambassador. So just so we understand, moving forward, before we dive into what it takes to be an ambassador. One, your surroundings don't determine your ambassadorship. Two, your past doesn't determine your ambassadorship, your calling does. Three, the fact if you're rejected or hated does not determine if you're an ambassador or not. And four, the fact that you will sacrifice and let go of things does not determine you're an ambassador or not. This is all the realities of following Jesus. Happy? (laughs) Uh, We often talk, you know, I grew up in the church, I was born into the church, I had my own like two year little testimonial moment where you go, Try to make it sound like you lived a crazy life, but you really didn't. But for the most part, I've been in church, and um, and uh, and I've enjoyed what I would consider a privileged upbringing—not privileged in finances, but privileged in being in the presence of God most of my life. You know, even when we're singing this morning, thinking to myself, "Lord, you know," sometimes I forget that what is so normal and comfortable for me in His presence is actually life-changing, because I've lived and breathed it my whole life. Um, at the same time, when I look at the fact that that as a follower, as, as a believer, I've had my moments where, you know, I try to, I live by grace and through grace try to summons authority. Um, and so I think I can continue to do one thing and be one way and, and it's all grace and grace. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I subscribe to grace. I need to. I need it every day. But, but grace allows us to move on from where we were. It covers us when we're in hard times. But When we're talking about authority here, when we're talking about a message, we, the reason I mention those four things is that you've got to sort of let go of what you find comfortable. That's really what the Bible has been saying to us. What you find comfortable has issues because it's temporary It has no eternal value in the sense of what you have here on earth and what you think defines you here on earth doesn't actually pass into eternity. And so when we talk about ambassadorship here, what I love is that when an ambassador finally arrives home, their work that they've done is carried with them when an ambassador comes home. And so as we are an ambassador for Christ, when we arrive back into heaven, when we are home with our Father again, We bring all of that with us, our journey with us. This is what it means, and we're going to go through it, to be an ambassador. There's there's four particular tasks an ambassador needs to undertake. Number one, an ambassador represents the one who sends him. Acts 11.26 says this, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. I'm going to move back a bit. And for the whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. We represent the one who sends us. It's very important you you get this in your your heart and you, you settle it in your mind. The reason I say that is that often we try to represent Christ through who we are, our insecurities, our failings. Ever had a conversation when you don't have an answer for a question and you rely on yourself rather than on God? And you make stuff up. Who here has ever made something up because you, you don't know how to say you don't know. The amount of times I've been in conversations and someone's been asked a question, I, if, you know, if there's a full-on theological conversation going on, I'll stay quiet. Because it's real interesting what you hear come out of people's mouths sometimes when they don't have an answer. And, and can I be honest with you, church? We can't cover everything with, oh, well, just because that's how Jesus... And, yep. Like we, like ambassadors need to, what did I say? Represent the one who sends him. There's some things we need to do here. It says that they spent a whole year, they met as a church. It was in Antioch that Christians were first called Christians, followers of Christ. Christian, Christ-like, Christ-follower. We are the ones who represent Jesus here on earth. Now that doesn't mean we get it right all the time. I think history has proven us uh, you know, wrong plenty of times. It doesn't mean that we are uh, going to be perfect in everything we do. But, but at some point, we need to stop saying, well, I'm covered by grace and I don't need to be perfect as an excuse for not developing ourselves into a better ambassador, a better representation of Christ. We can't hide behind the fact that we're human and got failings. It was never, you know, Christ doesn't identify that as a reason for us to hide. He identifies it as a point of reference so that when we are transformed into his glory, we remember where we came from and how we got here, and that's in and through him. It never meant to stay the same. Second thing as an ambassador. Ambassador speaks the message of the one who sends him. I think I mentioned this previously, but like, don't be speaking your own message. There's no power in our message. If I was to speak my message without Christ, It'd be a pretty pathetic message. I could try to make it sound good. I could pretty it up. I could tickle your ears with it. I can make up a testimony to make you feel good about something. But at the end of the day, it's not going to change you from the inside out. Only scripture can do that. So, what is the message of the one who sends us? First Corinthians 15:1 to 4, Paul writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you will be believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul simply says this is our message. And he says... You should take your stand on it because it's on this message you were saved as an ambassador, and it's simply that Jesus was born, the Messiah was born, the Messiah died, Jesus died, and the Messiah was resurrected, raised again. And in and through this process, sin was overcome, our debt was paid, and our lives resurrected. That's our message. If you haven't been in church long enough, and never met someone who's like, can you tell me the message of Christ in in 30 seconds, then you're going to find out in this church, I'm going to be asking, what is the message that God's put in your heart? Because this is is the base framework for it. Jesus came because we needed him to. He died because we needed him to, and he rose again because he's King of kings, Lord of Lord, perfect sacrifice. And now I have resurrection in him. So how do I know the Messiah was born? Luke 2, 6, uh, 2 verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. I'm not going to read it, but that is the birthing scene of Jesus Christ in the manger. Uh, how do I know he died? Well, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul writes that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. We can also read about it in the Gospel. Um, And then the Messiah rose again. Paul writes about this again in 1 Corinthians, that on the third day, according to Scripture, Jesus was raised from the dead. And we can read about that in the Gospels. This is our message. The reason I'm giving you so much Scripture is not that I want you to go tell this to people verbatim, but you need to know in your heart of hearts, as a believer, as an ambassador, you need to know the message that you are speaking. You need to know it not like know it like know it like like we live in a world that open book tests don't really exist right so i want you to stop approaching your faith as if it's an open book test you need to you need to know the message you need to be able to speak it you need to be if you don't know it how do you live it do you know the message of jesus christ We we teach a lot of our disciples and a lot of our our new and emerging uh, leaders that too many Christians, when they say yes to Jesus, remain as a convert and never become a disciple. Jesus remains their saviour, but he never becomes their Lord. And the problem with that is is that if they never become a disciple, they never become a disciple-maker. So we can never achieve the, the great commission of going into all the world and making disciples. Why? Because we never knew the message. We were touched by the message. We agreed with the message. We said yes to the message, but we don't know it. We don't live it. We don't breathe it. And we're never transforming our city through it because we are not proper ambassadors. Number three, an ambassador speaks with the authority of the one who sends him. Man, I love this one. Anytime anyone says authority, I'm like, come on. Number one, authority is given to us from the Son of God. Matthew 28 18 to 20, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am yours always to the very end of the age. And number two, authority is given to us from being sons and daughters of God. John 1.12, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You need to know where the authority comes from. You've got to speak with the authority. I said this in the 9am, I'll share it again. We've got this drink called the Frothy Boy. Dan invented it, wherever Dan is. It's just essentially like kids steam milk so they feel like they're having a coffee, but they're not. We've given some chocolate, some vanilla essence. This is a nice drink, actually. But if my kids come to me and they say, Dad, can I have a frothy boy? Sounds so weird. I say, yes, you can. And they'll go to Holly, and Holly is one of our amazing baristas, runs the cafe here at church. And they'll say quite politely, but full well knowing that they have the authority, because Dad said, yes. Holly, Dad said I could have a frothy boy. Could I get one, please? And if it's Eden, it's just frothy boy, please. But you'll hear in their voice, there is no stammer, there's no, there's no second guessing. There's, they know dad said yes. And because dad said yes, it's going to happen. Now, it's only going to get worse for us as they get older. Because they're going to realize they don't have to ask, ask me. And just, well, dad said yes. So everyone, let's watch out for that one. Eh? But in the same thought, if you are a child of God, when you said yes to Jesus, you've become a child of God. So when he says, I've given you all authority in heaven and earth that was given to him, why aren't we speaking with that authority? Because that authority only exists if you live it. You can't speak it if you don't live it. It's just like a checks and balances thing. (laughs) Consistency over time is what gives you authority. Faithfulness gives you authority. Your word pictured in your life as you've seen the transformation happen gives you authority. I didn't share this in the first uh, service, but I'll share it now because this will give you some insight. Your faith gives you authority. Uh, when we first moved uh, from, Canada, from Australia to Canada, you know, I told people, God's not finished yet. There is something here that He's wanting to build. He's wanting to resurrect. He's wanting to grow. And Emma and I, were, we were f- firm on that. But we had nothing but like 12 people and a party ready to go. And, and I know for a fact that there were people in our sending church who loved us, believed in us, but at the same time, like, good luck. And then when we were meant to have launched in January 2018 and Emma and I decided to delay it to September 2018, nine-month delay, people were like, oh my goodness, these guys, what a joke. But God had said to us, no, I've got something for you and I want you to wait. I want you to be patient. I want you to be obedient. And we told him this and we weren't hiding from him. God said something else is here. And our faith stirred us to, to declare the message he'd given us. And then you fast forward when, you know, when God intersects stories and journeys, and this building came and, and, and we, got to, we got to resurrect something, that God said it was not finished yet, and we' got to be a part of everything He put on our hearts before we'd left. What was once just a faith statement becomes authority now. Because when I go back to Australia to my sending church, I'm no longer the youth, young adult or business manager that left on a great journey to the other side of the world, I return, and Emma returns as the people that heard God declared His voice, declared what He said, His message, and it happened. And so now, when I preach the Word, and I'll be honest with you, when I preach the Word back at home, it means a lot more than they used to mean to them. Why? Because the authority that I speak in comes from my faith that identified my Father in my life. You want to have authority, you've got to have a bit of faith. God's told you to do something, don't keep it a secret. Tell somebody, then do it. Because then there's, a, there's an accountable mandate to your faith, not just like keep it secret, keep it safe. <laughs> Ever had a moment in life where you're like, like someone's, like you've thrown a basketball from a stupid distance and it's gone in and no one saw it? <laughs> That's what hidden faith feels like every time. Because it, it means nothing to anyone. Why? Because you didn't speak it out. You don't have any authority in it anymore. You've robbed yourself. I remember Mark Gartenbein. <laughs> I kid you not. He threw the ball from halfway behind his head. It hit a curtain. that went so high, and then fell into the hoop. And we thought we'd recorded it, but we hadn't. Luke Luke deliberately didn't record it. But <laughs> brotherly love or jealousy. But I just I always relive that when I think about this. Is that we, like now it's just ah. Oh. That's why we have praise cards and prayer, reports, uh, prayer cards and praise reports. Because you're putting it out there, believing God's going to do something. And when he does, we get to all celebrate in what was a problem, now becomes a blessing and provision. Yeah. There it becomes the authority as an ambassador. Number four, an ambassador needs to remain in constant communication with the one who sends him or her. So, communication from God to us comes through the Bible It's the word in hand. I know there is a great movement out there that likes to just rely on personal revelation. But can I encourage you, as your pastor, you really need to know this. Your revelation that you get personally from God has to be filtered through the Gospels, has to be filtered through Scripture. It has to be supported. You cannot build your life on personal revelation. God uses personal revelation to bring to life and to light what he's already spoken in his word. So if anyone encounters somebody who's like, well, I don't really read the Bible, but God talks to me all the time, that's great. But you're not going to be a great ambassador because God speaks through us in his word. So you need to hear the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says this, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. You've got to read the word of God. Who would have thought? Revelations 1 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. Please read your Bibles. You know, we took time in the, the previous service to mention the fact that I don't know how many people I would be included in this for a portion of my life, where where if you want to learn something, you go learn it. You just get it done. But when it comes to the Bible. We're just like, oh, it's too hard to understand, and it's like, I don't know what it means here. And But the Bible's pretty easy to unlock. There's a lot of resources out there. we just got to prioritize it. Who here goes on YouTube to figure out how to cook something? <laughs> Levi's like, I go on YouTube. You shouldn't. You're not allowed. You've been caught out in front of everyone. <laughs> now, Levi goes on, and if you... it's one of the amazing things is that when we went to his parent-teacher interview this week. Uh, his, his teacher um, was astounded with the amount of understanding Levi has about reptiles. He owns a reptile as well, a bearded dragon. Um, and, and she was like, it's phenomenal. And we're like, oh yeah. And she's like, no, it's, it's actually phenomenal, what he knows. And the reality is, is he's gone on YouTube and watched all these reptile documentaries. Um, and, and, and I say that because if my son, who's nine years old, can know more about reptiles than I can because he taught himself? Why can't we teach ourselves, and I don't mean like teach ourselves, but equip ourselves in knowing the Bible? We can't just rely on Sundays, Pastor Ben or or Emma or Pastor Joel's going to come up here and preach and I'm going to eat one meal a week. You know, the Bible wasn't meant for keto. (laughs) You're meant to gorge yourself on the Bible. It's a holistic diet. It's got everything you need. Everything you need you've been struggling in life right now or maybe you don't come to church maybe this is the first time in church maybe you've or you've heard about church and you've been skeptical about it what i find interesting is that it's the consistency of living reading and knowing the word that is the most attractive thing the older i get people who are consistent in what they do actually inspire me more before it's just like smoke and mirrors if you can make it look cool, sound cool, then you're interested. As a young person, that's what that gets, gets you interested. But the older I get, and, I, and I, I dare say this is for everyone, the older we get, the more we actually prize and sort after things of substance. And there's sort of consistency, trustworthiness, faithfulness. These are what we're looking for. You can sing really great, but if you're a, you know, a bad person, I don't want to be around you. You can be the perfect image in front on stage, but you slander people, gossip about people, you're not consistent in your walk. The older I get, the less time I have for that. You've got to read the Word of God. You've got to study the Word of God. You've got to memorize the Word of God. Memorize it. You've got to, you've got to get it inside of you. I, went to, uh, I spent most of my childhood years in a Baptist Sunday school. And I always joke because that's like going to like seminary. Like, Baptists take this thing real. And, you know, we'd have to do, like, you know, the kids do a Bible verse. It's great. We'd have to, like, memorize full chapters. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is so boring. But now I'm older. Man, I'm so thankful that that I memorize those chapters, that I memorize those words, that I memorize the Word of God. You know, in Psalms 119.9, the psalmist writes this, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. And then he continues in uh, verse 11 on the same chapter. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This speaks to your impulse. You know, the whole problem with impulses is that by the time we realize we're in the midst of an impulse, it's too late. So when you know, a, a pretty woman walks down the street and you look and then you stare and you glare because it's an impulse, well, oh, it's just an impulse. You know, I didn't think much about it. So I'm just human nature. That's great. You can hide behind that for a while. But the Bible says he's got better things for you, that the Word of God can rewrite your impulses. That's why he says if you hide it in your heart, before it even becomes an impulse, whatever your impulse is fed off becomes the authority, the Word of God. So the things of the world that are not good for you, that are destructive towards you, that are going to lead you astray, that rely on your, your carnal impulses, no longer have authority in your life. Why? Because you've memorized the word. When you memorize the word of God, when you become an ambassador on this level, you look at people differently. You would never begin to degrade them or dehumanize them or be make them something apart of your manipulation or your fantasy or your outcomes. Because the Word of God doesn't allow you to do that anymore. It's changed your DNA. You're not the same person anymore. You're a, you're a new creation. You need to meditate on the Word of God. And I don't mean like I can't go to sleep, so I open my Bible and read a Word and go to sleep. We've all done it. Just turn to a Leviticus and be like, Oh, here we go. Deepest sleep of my life. No, I mean meditate on it. Psalms 1, 2 says, But those delight in the law of the Lord, uh, Lord who meditate on his word day and night. Verse 3 says, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, we live in a world of anxiety, we live in a world of stress, and the concept of meditating on God's Word is actually a great antidote to that. It refocuses your spirit, it realigns your soul, and it allows you to remember that as an ambassador, you have a great, powerful message that cuts through all of that. It doesn't mean you don't feel it, it doesn't mean you don't have to transgress through all that type of stuff and and actually deal with it, but it does equip you. Make sure you meditate. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. The last one is when we communicate with the sender of the message. God communicates through his word to us, but we communicate back to him through prayer. When we pray, we do several things, and I'm going to talk about that now. One, we praise, we voice our wonder about God and who he is. Psalms 146, 1 to 2 says, Praise the Lord. My soul, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. We've got to give thanksgiving to God for what he's done. Ephesians 5.20 says this, Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, intercession, praying for others. Ephesians 6.18.19 says, Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given uh, me so that I will be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Number four, petition, asking God for our needs. 1 Samuel 1.27, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him. And number five, confession, agreeing with God about my sin. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I know this morning we've gone through a lot of scripture, and we've gone through a lot of th- thoughts on ambassadorship, but it all comes down to this. Why not me? Why not us? Why not Avant Life? Why not the North Shore? Why, co- why couldn't God do something here that changed a nation? Why couldn't God you know, start something here that would fracture the brokenness that's in this world and begin to allow his life to permeate through every pore of our society. Why not here? Why not us? And the only thing stopping us from doing that is us not grabbing onto the revelation that we are ambassadors for Christ, that the message we bring carries the vision, the image, and the heart of our God, that the message that we speak in his name carries the authority that it's not meant to be all about comfortability and getting everything perfect in our life. That we understand that, that in our transgressions, in our hurts, in our pains, that our consistency with Christ makes us a powerful ambassador for Him. I don't want to see someone's life that has it perfect, that's never gone through pain telling me about God. That doesn't make sense. Where's the testimony in that? No, this is the best part of the gospel. And as an ambassador for Christ, he knows we're broken. He knows that we covered ourselves with sin and rejected him. He knows that it's only through Christ that we have life. He knows all this stuff. Why? Because he wrote our redemption story. And then he said, in your brokenness, I'm going to make you whole. And in your wholeness, I'm going to make you an ambassador. So that we could say, well, why not us? Why can't we have our life make a difference? Why can't we begin to stir the Spirit of God in our city? Why can't North Vancouver have the best the best marriages, the best family life? Why can't the North Shore have the best spiritual environment? Why can't the North Shore be known as a city that's alive and is prosperous and generous? Why not us? Why can't we be the ambassadors? You've gotta let go of the, the, the notion that we have to be comfortable before we can be effective. That's not true. Actually, to be an ambassador, we've got to leave our home and go in to another. When the kingdom of heaven, which we represent, comes colliding day in, day out in our life with the kingdom of this world, there's a friction point that takes place. And this is why Jesus said, they may hate you for this. They may not. Just know that I've been hated. They may reject you, but just remember I was rejected first. He knows in this friction point where these two kingdoms collide Right in that moment, salvation is most apparent. The need for salvation and the message of salvation converge right there. It doesn't converge here. People coming to church on a Sunday is like, don't get me wrong, I love it. But if we're just relying on people seeing our sign out the front to come in, only that, then that's just saying, hey, we're an embassy, you can claim refugee status here. but we're a new creation. We're more than conquerors and we're an ambassador for Christ. We've got to go out and we've got to bring the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me this morning, church? There's a world out there deserving of nothing but pain and hurt, but because of Christ, because His love for them, He sent us as His mouthpiece, those who have received the message in His authority to be His ambassadors. As we worship now, would you just reflect in your own heart? Well, how can I? How can I stir in myself a greater nature of being an ambassador? We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at AvantLifeChurch.com.